0: Just let's get ready for the Word of God. Uh, Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Very familiar chapter, of course, but I just want to uh, pick out one verse, verse 11. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. There are many things that are endearing about children, their cuteness, playfulness, their naivety, their helplessness, their utter dependence on others, having to help them and to meet their needs. And of course, their seemingly endless curiosity. They've got a thousand questions to ask. All these things And more, we make allowances and we tolerate because we know that it's simply just a stage that they're going through and they will go through. It's just a natural part of growing up. However, there will come a day whenever we will not be so accommodating because growing up, of course, is going on to maturity. Putting away, Paul says, childish. Things comes a day when bottle feeding is over, potty training is finished, the stabilizers are off the bicycle, kindergarten is over, school has begun, college, university, backends, a career is taken. Then perhaps marriage, and then who knows, maybe children of their own. Now it's tragic when someone has reached the age of maturity but yet has never grown out of childishness. They're still infantile in their behavior. They're still so utterly dependent upon others to do their thinking for them. They fail to make sound judgments and decisions and they just seem to lurch from one big mistake to the next. Now a bigger Even bigger tragedy than that is when Christians, whenever they fail to grow up, whenever believers have been saved for years and long since should have reached the age of maturity, but they're still childish, cannot think for themselves, pray for themselves, speak for themselves, act for themselves, still in nappies, still in the milk, Still haven't got the stabilizers off. And this is what Paul is saying to these believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. It was time for them to simply grow up, to stop being so childish. They have become absolutely enamored with spiritual gifts to the point where it became like a competition between them on who could outshine the other the best. They had power. They had revelation. They had tongues and abundance. And yet, in spite of all of that, they were sexually immoral. There was even incest in the church. Not only that, they were taking each other to court for the least, smallest infringement. They were even getting drunk at their love feasts, ridiculous. Should have had long since grown beyond all of that nonsense. But yet here they are, and they're still doing it. And so Paul says, grow up, wise up, might we say. In 1 Corinthians 14, 20, He says, brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes. But in understanding, be mature. The King James says, in understanding, be men. Grow up. Act your And So Paul is writing to this very charismatic church, but it's a very problematic church. They had some wonderful points. They had some great virtues. But the thing that was failing them was, was this business of not growing up, not maturing. The Apostle Peter, he was also anxious about believers growing in their experience with Christ. In 2 Peter 3.18, he says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.2, he says, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And so the apostles were very concerned and uh, very observant about their congregations, about the believers that they ministered to. And they understood very well that new believers, babies in Christ that there would be alliances and accommodations for that, because what do they know? Very little. But older believers, people who should have long since grown up and are still stuck, that's whom they're addressing. And first John, first epistle of John chapter two. Uh, John here is an old man by this time. Uh, He is the elder statesman of the church. He's the only one of all of the apostles who's still alive at this time. The rest of them all have been martyred. Uh, He is and was for a time the senior pastor, if you could put it that way, of the Ephesian church. And so he's writing to them. And in verse 12 of chapter 2 of 1 John He says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Notice here he affectionately calls them my little children. In fact, he uses that term three times my little children and little children he uses six times and children of God three times in the first epistle. The second epistle he uses the term children three times, and in the third epistle, my children once. So 16 times in three epistles he calls them children. Now he shows us here in the few verses that we read together in Second John, First John chapter 2 rather, he talks about three different groups, three different kinds of believers. Fathers, young men, little children. Fathers, young men, little children. Fathers are those who are mature. They have an intimate relationship that has deepened and grown to the extent that they're no longer attracted or interested in the things of this world. They're seasoned. They've been with the Lord a long time and they have matured to that place where they're out and out for God and nothing about this world interests them. They love the Lord and they're serving God and that's it. Nothing in this world satisfies or fulfills them. They see it as a sham and a con and they're done with it. Those are the fathers The young men are those who are not quite mature, but they're getting there. They're maturing in the Word of God. They're growing stronger because they're allowing the Word of God to abide within them. Sure, they have battles. Sure, they have struggles with the world around them, but they're overcoming. These believe that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, and they have matured to an extent where well, they know that and they trust the Lord, and whatever battles come their way, whatever attractions try to come from the world, they're able to fend it off by the Word of God. These are the young men who have become strong, and then there are the little children, those who are still immature, those who are only half grown, those who've been stunted. their growth. Now, it's interesting that John uses a different word for children here in verse 13 than he uses in verse 12. In verse 12, when he starts off, the word he refers to as little children means those who are born into the family of God. So that's all believers. Now, being an old senior man, of course, it would be quite natural for him to look at all of the church's believers and call them all little children. And that's how he started off addressing them. But by the time he goes on, when he uses this word again, it's a different word he uses. Because the word in verse 13, little children, means those who are not mature. They are immature. They're only half grown. They're stunted in their spiritual development. They know God as their father, okay, but not as deeply or as maturely as the fathers and the young men. Are you still with me? And so that's the three different types of groups. Now the sad truth is that there's far, far too many believers who are still stuck in the little children group who hasn't moved on to maturity, who's not even at the young men's stage. They should at least be at that stage, but they're not. Their attachment to the world I'm afraid is still strong. They're spiritually stunted because they still want to play with the toys of this world. And that's why John goes on to say in that very chapter, First John 2, when you read on a little bit in verse 15, he says, "'Do not love the world or the things in the world. "'If any loves the world, "'the love of the Father is not in him. "'For all that is in the world, "'the lust of the flesh, "'the lust of the eyes, "'the pride of life, "'is not of the Father, "'but is of the world.'" and the world is passing away, and the lust of it, the desire of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And so there's reasons why believers sometimes get stuck at that little children's stage and and do not grow and mature in the things of God. Sometimes it's simply because they're worldly. They're carnal. They enjoy the world so much. It's such an attraction and a hold on. They come to church when it's convenient. They read the Bible or study the Word of God when they remember, if they have time. They pray only in an emergency. And like little children, it's very hard to keep their attention. They have acquired the SAD syndrome, SAD. Spiritual attention deficit. <laughs> they live in a world that entertains them. TV, movies. By the way, let me say to you, Christian, you do not have to go and see the latest movie. You don't have to go and see it. It doesn't matter if the old world's talking about it. You don't have to go and see it necessarily. Now there's some movies there's nothing wrong with them but there's lots of movies that Christians go to and there's plenty wrong with them and there shouldn't be anywhere near them. And then they wonder why when they come to church they're bored out of their mind and they're dead and it's dried up because they spend so much time enamored with the world that spiritual things leave them cold and they get stunted in their spiritual growth. Paul writes to the Christians in Galatia. In Galatians 4.19, he says, My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Hmm. What was wrong with the Galatian church? Well, they'd come out of all of that religiosity, of their upbringing and their past. They'd come into faith in Christ. But then they'd cult. And there was a danger they were going to go back into that old religiosity. And Paul says, after all I've taught you, after how Christ has been formed in you, am I going to have to do that all over again? Am I going to have to go back to the drawing board? Sometimes I despair when I look around at what happens in church in general. I'm speaking of. Sometimes I despair. Sometimes I wonder what the Spirit of God really thinks about it. Because sometimes it's so hard to know the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. They act the same, they talk the same, they do the same things, go to the same places. You think, where's the change of life? Where where is the Christ life? (laughs) What's the difference? If we're no different in the world, there's something seriously wrong. Paul said to the Corinthians church, it's time to put away childish things. It's time to move on and become more mature in the things of God. There is so much more that God's got for us. So much more. It's time to move on to greater things. Now how do you know that you're growing in Christ? It's a good thing to take a spiritual inventory, isn't it? Do you do that? Do you check yourself out? you have a spiritual kind of check-up every now and again and just see where you are? Because it's so easy just to drift along, isn't it? But sometimes we've got to stop and say, where am I spiritually? Am I growing or am I stopped or am I going back or am I going forth? Where am I? So here are three ways to know you're growing in Christ. The first way is that you are not satisfied with where you are spiritually right now. That almost seems a reverse way to look at it. But at least if you're not satisfied with where you are spiritually right now, that means you're growing. It means you have enough sense, you have enough spiritual sense to know (laughs) that this is not good enough. There's more and I want more. The Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He had such a revelation of Christ and his gospel that it has changed history. Here's a man who spent three years in Arabian desert seeking the Lord, getting revelation from him that we never had before. And after 30 years of walking every day with the living Christ, knowing him intimately, getting this wonderful revelation of the gospel from after 30 years, he notices, Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. After 30 years, he said, I haven't arrived yet. I still haven't got there. There is much more. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead listen to this not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on. Now there's a man who knows that there's more, that he hasn't fully attained everything. But I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, But this one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead I press toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore let us as many as are mature have this mind and if in anything you think otherwise God will reveal even this to you. But I press on, and I've told you this several times before, but it bears repeating. The word he uses is dioko, dioko, and he uses that word in another place in Galatians, chapter one, and verse thirteen. And in Galatians chapter 1 verse 13 it's interesting the context he uses it. He's given his testimony. Verse 13 For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. How I persecuted and he uses the same word dioko. Dioko. Do you remember how he followed after Christians as far as Damascus in order to arrest them and to put them into prison. He says, I was so anti-Christian. I was so energized to go and destroy the church. He says, I followed after it with a passion and with fervency to destroy it. Now he says, that same passion that same fervency, that same desire, now that I am saved, I have that for Christ and to build up his church. Here's a man who's growing in the Lord. We've got to ask ourselves, do we have the same passion, the same fervency as we had a month ago Six months ago, a year ago, five years ago, or somehow has it dissipated? Well, we can get it back, and we can grow, and we can go on, and we can mature. So, three ways to know that you are growing in Christ first of all, you're not satisfied with where you are spiritually, you realize there is more. Secondly, you are prepared to do something about it. It's one thing knowing it. It's another thing doing something about it. You've sat at base camp long enough. It's time to head for the summit. I was watching the news this past week. There is a break in the weather at Everest and there was up to 150 climbers trying to get to the summit. And there's a time to be in base camp. But there's a time you've got to move out and move on and move up. Mountaineers, they they dream of conquering Everest. They visualize it. It's in their thoughts every single day. They become desperate for it. It consumes them. But they know that it's going to take more than just wishful thinking. More than just dreaming about it. If they're going to get to the roof of the world, they've got to do something. And so they have to train and they have to climb smaller mountains. And they have to read books about those who's already done it. Their exploits. Learn from them. Be inspired, challenged. So they do all of that and more. But there comes a day when they have to get the kit on. And they have to move out of base camp and they've got to take that first step to get up the mountain. They can't just live at base camp. They've got to join an expedition. They've got to move out and they've got to move up. And it's the same spiritually. I am sure that if I ask every single one of us in this house today who loves the Lord do you want to grow more spiritually? I have no doubt that you'd put your hand up and say, yes, I would. As I would. But let me ask you the question. What are we going to do about it? It's a wish. It's a lovely thought. It would be great. Marvelous. But there comes a point that's got to go beyond thinking about it, isn't it? You have to do something. About it. You've got to take the first steps. So, how are you going to get from where you are to where you want to be to where you need to be? Are you prepared to do something about it? So, the third thing first thing, you're not satisfied with where you are spiritually. Second thing, you're prepared to do something about it. And the third thing, are you willing? To change your lifestyle if necessary. Now this gets right down to the nub of it. Now we all know, and I know as much as any of you, if we really want to lose weight, changing our diet is the key, isn't it? Over the years, I don't know how much weight I have lost, and then I found it again. And then I lose it, and it keeps finding me. But I know this much. If I'm going to lose it, I have to change something. I have to cut out something or cut down on something. Because if I keep the same regime, I'm not going to lose an ounce. So in order to lose, you've got to cut down or you've got to cut out. Simple, isn't it? Some things we're going to have to cut back on. Some things we're going to have to cut out absolutely completely. To grow spiritually, there's some things you're going to have to cut back on and some things you're going to have to cut out completely. That may be okay for others. They may be able to handle it, get away with it and still grow. But not you. It doesn't work for you. Others go on a diet works for them brilliantly. You go on it you put weight on. How in the world does that work? And so there's some things others will do spiritually and cause them to grow. And you try to copy that and it doesn't work. You have to figure out what are the things that are stopping me growing in the Lord because I need to identify them. I need to cut them out. I need to go on a spiritual diet and cut them out. It's amazing the time that we fritter away. Five minutes in the Word, five hours on TV. That's not a healthy diet, sure it's not, spiritually. When somebody goes on a physical diet... Sometimes it takes a while, depending on how heavy you are, to begin with, but after a while, if you stick to it, after a while, not only do you notice it, but everybody around you notices it, don't they? After a while <laughs> that I was taught to the wall there for a minute. And it's the same spiritually. It may take a while even for yourself to notice it, but after a while you will notice it and others will notice that you're advancing, that you're growing, that you're deepening, that you're maturing. God gives us seven days a week and he says, give me one of them for me. And many can't even manage that. I nearly know who would be missing today because it's a hot day. It's a sunny day. The beach is calling. Sad, isn't it? God gives us 100% of our finances. He does. Gives us the health and strength. Gives us the job. says, now give me 10%. Just 10%. Can we do that? Many can't. Many can't do it. Or won't do it. So to grow spiritually is going to require some adjustments to your lifestyles. Some things we'll have to cut back on, some things we'll have to cut out completely. We'll have to examine and say, is that holding me back? In itself, it may be okay. It's, I'm talking about some sin. I'm not talking about that. It could be legitimate things. And there's things we have to do that we can't cut back on. We have to look after families, all the rest of it. But there's some things that takes up time and effort and energies and money and all the rest of it that could be used in the kingdom of God. And we've got to say, What do I need to let go of? What's not going to work for me? If I keep doing this, I'm not going to grow spiritually. But if I start to cut back on that and cut that out, then I'll see a change in my life spiritually. Sometimes you just got to ask the hard questions. So growing up spiritually, I'm having trouble with this thing today. Every time I put this wire behind my back, it wants to drag it off my ear. So we're going to require some adjustments. Let me just read a passage from the Song of Solomon, chapter 5. Now, without going into this in any depth at all, but just to give you a brief overview, there's three main characters in it. There's Solomon, there's a Shulamite, beautiful young woman, and then there is the shepherd, who is her beloved, And of course Solomon had a great harem and sent his men out over all the land and basically take all the beautiful young women of the land and bring them back to the palace to his harem. He had hundreds of them, literally. Most beautiful woman of the land. And she was one of them that was taken from her home and brought to there. And she was lavished with beautiful perfumes and clothes and all the rest of it, all the fashion of the day. But her heart still yearned for her beloved, the shepherd. The one who is her beloved back home. And in the process of time, he, he follows her. And we pick up on the story here where she is in bed sleeping. And yet, she's not quite sleeping. And her beloved, the shepherd, he comes to the door of the lattice, and he begins to speak to her. He misses her. And he wants to deepen his relationship with her. Let's see what happens. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2. I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, Open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. Of course, this is very Eastern flowery language. The Shulamite answers, I have taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I defile them? She makes excuses. He has come seeking her. He has come wooing her. He's come saying the most beautiful things to her. He's trying to arise her out of her sleep, wants to deepen the relationship. And all she can think about at the time is, well, I'm in bed. I've washed my feet. I don't want to get them dirty again. So so this kind of half-heartedness, this kind of slight indifference going on, I've taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. How can I defile them? My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door. Then she says, My heart yearned for him. So so here's this dichotomy. Here's this paradox in her life where there's a part of her yearns for him, but when he comes, she backs off. When it comes to the crunch, she backs off and makes excuses. And sometimes we're like this spiritually. There's a part of us yearns for more of him. But when he comes and he invites us and he wants to deepen the relationship, we back off and find excuses. I haven't the time to read today. I haven't the time to pray tonight. I haven't the time to go to church. I haven't the time... My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door. My heart yearned for him. Then eventually, here's what happened. I arose to open for my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh and my fingers with liquid myrrh in the handles of the lock. Evidence that he had been there. Mm, She smelled it. He had been there. His presence had been there. I opened for my beloved but my beloved had turned away and was gone. She lay a long time, wondering, deliberating, making excuses. Will I? Won't I? Until eventually when she rose, he was gone. Now she's got a problem. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. My heart leaped up when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. Ah, she's getting desperate now. She's lost his presence. And she knows it. He's not there. And she knows it. But now she wants him. And she gets desperate for him. And so she goes out into the city looking for him. The watchmen who were about the city found me. They struck me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls, they took my veil from me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, will you tell him I am lovesick? Who are the daughters of Jerusalem? That is the rest of the harem. Her girlfriends, that she knew, and they knew her. So then the daughters of Jerusalem spoke to her and says, What is your beloved more than another beloved? What is so special about him? Why are you so upset? Why are you getting all uptight about this? Why are you so passionate about him now? What is your beloved more than any beloved? O fairest among women, what is your beloved more than another beloved that you so charge us? See, they're getting curious now because they're sensing from her an awakening, a passion, a desire. And so she says, My beloved is white and ruddy, chief among ten thousand. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy, as black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are like a bed of spices, banks of scented herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His hands are rods of gold set with beryl. His body is carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. She's missing him now. And she's thinking about him. And the more she thinks about him, the more she misses him. And she's describing him in this beautiful, flowery Eastern language. But you know what? It's getting the attention of the daughters of Jerusalem. They had never seen anybody ever so talk about their beloved the way she's talking about hers. But listen what happens. The Daughter of Jerusalem in chapter 6 says, Where has your beloved gone, O fairest among women? Where has your beloved turned aside, that we may seek him with you? Ah. Do you know when the unsaved is going to become interested in your Jesus? When you're as passionate about him as she is about her beloved? When you talk about Jesus in a fashion that they know there's something different. It's not just talk that you really mean it. That you have a relationship with Christ and it's important to you. It's absolutely vital to you. Then they get curious. Then they just might want to go and find him too with you. <laughs> they may want to go on a search to find this one that's so wonderful, that's so precious to you, that's so glorious to you. They may get curious enough to say, well, I want to go and find him too. I've never heard anybody ever talk about anybody this way. I want to see who this man is. Are you still with me? You see, whenever we mature and we grow up in the things of God, and whenever we develop spiritually, and whenever we Fall in love with Christ more and more and more, then others will see it. Others will see it. And they'll be attracted too. You remember the little woman at the well? How that after Jesus revealed her heart and her life, how that she went back into the city and she told all the men, Come see a man who told me all things ever I did is not this the Christ. Come on, come and see him. And you know what? They couldn't wait to go and see him. She had taught them such glowing terms about this man at the well. All the whole city come out to see him. All those Samaritans, they all come out to see the one that she'd been talking about. They were so curious and anxious to meet the one that had changed this woman's life. There's room for growth, isn't there? Hey, there's lots of room for growth in this life of mine. Lots. And I want to grow. And I want you to grow. Just as the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, and the Apostle John all wanted the people of God to grow in grace and to grow in Christ and to grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And if we can grow together, there's no telling what we can accomplish in the kingdom of God if we grow together in Christ. And we stop making excuses and putting things off and do it. Amen. Let's not be part-time believers. Let's be full-time believers and get on fire for the Lord. And whenever we do that, then it will attract others to us. Amen. Let's pray. A few moments, we're going to break bread together.